Hey, this is David Schultz, audio producer here at Bloomberg Law. Just wanted to let you know we've created a couple new ways for you to interact with us. If you have feedback on this episode or any of our other podcasts, please give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 703-341-3690. That's 703-341-3690. We might just use your comments in a future episode. You can also reach out to us by email at podcast at bloomberglaw.com or on Twitter, at BLaw. We would love to hear your thoughts. Having the federal government on your resume is usually as good as gold for an attorney. So then why are so many Trump administration lawyers still without full-time jobs? Today on the podcast, we run the numbers and find out how Trump's legal alumni are doing six months after their boss left office. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. Today we're talking about the revolving door of Washington, D.C. Like it or hate it, it's a fact that many people, and especially lawyers, go back and forth between the federal government and the private sector with the greatest of ease. So that's why John Hughes' story this week for Bloomberg Law was so surprising. Hughes is a journalist here who covers big law and the business of law. And he tracks several dozen veterans of the Trump administration, attorneys who worked for federal agencies and directly in the White House. And of these lawyers, only 80% have full-time jobs nearly a half a year after their boss left the Oval Office. You might have some ideas as to why this is, and we'll get to that in just a bit. But first, I asked John to explain to me what the term revolving door actually means and how it actually works. What it refers to is... This idea that you go from a top job in the administration to a top job in industry and vice versa. You go from industry to top jobs in the administration. And so as the Trump administration was winding down, you know, Trump was so unusual in every way. So how would the revolving door work for Trump? That was the question we posed. And this is while he was still in office. We started asking ourselves this question. So what we did is we set up this project and said, well, how can we determine how the revolving door uh, works? And so what we did is we defined a group of lawyers that we were going to look at and watch and see what happens to them. And and this was like, this was not just like five or six. You, you did like dozens of lawyers here for this project. Right. So we said, let's start with cabinet level agencies. What is a cabinet level agency? Let's define that. So we came up with a definition for that that we would use. Then we said, okay, is the top person in that agency a lawyer? Is the number two person in that agency a lawyer? Let's make them part of the database. And then the third part we asked is the general counsel. Who is the general counsel at these agencies? That gave us a database of 73 lawyers. And again, this was uh, before the administration really ended that we started this. So we came up with this database and then we were just simply watching what happened with them, right? And we had to choose a decent amount of time that would go by because it does take time to find jobs when an administration ends. And so we talked with recruiters, what would be a reasonable time frame for us to look at? And they said, by the time you get to June, Usually, if you're looking hard for a job and you're leaving the administration, 
you're pretty much going to find one by June. So we decided that it would be unrealistic to run this, the results of this experiment, you know, before June. So here we are, it's mid-June, and it's time to put out the results. So let's talk about the results uh, and what you found about these 73 attorneys. It sounds like uh, the revolving door is not revolving uh, as fast as one might think for the uh, Trump administration. What's going on here? Well, we found that about 20%, just shy of 20% of the database is in a category that we call unknown, meaning there's just no sign that they're doing anything, that they've picked up any kind of job or role. And we've reached out to these people and we've tried to get them to talk with us and tell us what they're doing. Obviously, some of them are looking for work and can't find any, and you don't want to talk to a journalist about that, right? So you can understand. Um, you put yourself in their place and say, if you are out of work, do you really want to do an interview publicly saying, I'm out of work and I can't find a job? But um, more than 80% of the 73 are doing something. And that's a wide range, right? Doing something ranges from a lucrative job at a big law firm or a big corporate job at a company like Facebook, but it also includes a part-time advisory role for a small company or a part-time role at a think tank, right? So even the 80% that are doing something, they're not necessarily doing the thing that they want to do and ultimately will do. So, and we should mention there, you know, in that uh, unknown category, there may be some people who are, you know, striking it out on their own or, or are, you know, becoming entrepreneurs. And what made me think of this is uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, he was, uh, you know, arguably the, the top lawyer in the government uh, for a while. He's, I guess, technically unemployed, but really he's uh, working on a book and he has a very generous uh, advance uh, from his publisher. So, you know, that's a bit of a tricky situation, right? Yeah, I mean, that is what he is doing. And he did get an advance, and he's putting his full attention to that book. And there is an expectation he probably will do something when he's done with the book. And he probably you can imagine him doing a lot of interviews on the book and doing a book tour. This will keep him busy. So 20%, um, you know, not having any known, uh, uh, you know, employment right now, that feels high to me because it seems like if you're an attorney and you have the White House or you know a, f a federal agency on your resume, you're, you know, you're gonna get snatched up pretty quickly. So what's going on here? Why is this this number so high? Yeah, we, you know, we we're putting the data out there, and it's really important to just put the data out so everybody can see it. And in fact, you're gonna be able to look at each one of the seventy three. Uh, lawyers at Bloomberg Law's platform and see exactly what each of them is doing or is not doing, right? But in fairness, we really don't know if that 80% is low or high. We didn't compare it to the Obama administration. We didn't compare it to the Bush administrations. That would have been a very large undertaking, and it would have been difficult to do to figure out the timing of when exactly people landed. We know from talking with recruiters that lawyers uh, leaving the Trump administration have been having a more difficult time than lawyers who left the Obama administration or the George W. Bush administration. And they're speaking from their own experience of placing lawyers into jobs. And so uh, that's the 
anecdotal evidence, if you will, to go along with the data. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that a lot of the attorneys that you reached out to who are, you know, having trouble finding jobs didn't really want to talk about it. And that's totally understandable. Can't blame anyone for that. However, you know, this is the Trump administration we're talking about. And they're, you know, I think to put it um, generously, not known for suffering in silence. Uh, so, you know, I what did the ones who did want to speak uh, to you, what did they say? Well, Ken Cuccinelli, who was uh, a lawyer in the Homeland Security Department, uh, told us that he had an opportunity yanked away from him only because he was a member of the Trump administration. Now, he did land. He's not one of the 20% who hasn't landed. He's uh, consulting, and he's working on a voter transparency initiative. He's very happy about what he's doing. And he said he knew when he had an opportunity pulled from him that there would be other chances for him to land. But uh, Reed Rubenstein, who was a lawyer in the education department, told us that it's a sort of a badge of honor to not land because he said big law is uh, caving into liberalism, essentially is what he said. And we came in and we looked out for the middle class, the working person, he said. You know, we, we shook things up so much that they don't want to hire us, and that's a badge of honor. I guess turning a negative into a, a positive there. Um, I wonder, though, you know, as you mentioned, the Trump administration was one of the most unusual presidential administrations for a lot of reasons. Um, the main reason, though, is how it exited the, uh, the White House. How much of this do you think um, is as a result of that? And how much do you think it would have been difficult for uh, these attorneys to get jobs, even had that not happened, had January 6th not taken place? So Ken Cuccinelli, for one, told us that he thinks January 6th made it worse. But also law firms changed after January 6th. So we saw law firms like Morgan Lewis and uh, Bacchius and Seaforth and Shaw walking away from Trump businesses after January 6th. Uh, Kroll and Mooring uh, after January 6th called on President Trump to uh, be removed from office and they asked other law firms to take the same position. So it was after the 6th that you really saw things change from the perspective of law firms and big law and uh, the recruiters have said as much January 6th just made things that much more difficult for people leaving the Trump administration. Well, and that leads me perfectly into my last question, which is, um, you know, just what this says overall about the state of big law, um, that, you know, it seems like, you know, big law firms have been politicized for, or getting more partisan for quite some time, or maybe they always have been, I don't know. But it just feels like now this is, you know, you have pro-Trump firms and anti-Trump firms. Well, the world has changed, right? I mean, so much has changed on the front of racial equity, uh, the push for diversity, the push for not just law firms, but businesses in general to go beyond merely talking about these issues and to step up their activism and step up their own behavior uh, on these sorts of issues, right? And at the same time, you've got activists 
who are stepping up and pressuring companies and pressuring law firms and using social media to uh, bring about these ends. And so I think you're seeing uh, big law being more responsive to what's going on in the country and trying to be part of what they see as positive and responsible change. And in some respects, at least, probably maybe many respects, but at least some, this runs into President Trump and Trump supporters. And so they, they are at odds a little bit. And I think that is showing up in which lawyers get hired at these firms and at these companies and which ones don't. Yeah. All right. Well, that was John Hughes. He is a reporter with Bloomberg Law covering big law and the business of law. Uh, John, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. That'll do it for yet another episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Jessica Coombs, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. That's B as in I'm back in the office and feeling great. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week. For our next season of Uncommon Law, we're looking at the regulatory future of big tech. The giants need to be broken up. Facebook, Google, all of them. Is big tech impinging on your right to free speech? They've had unchecked power to censor, restrict, edit, shape, hide, alter. Misinformation, disinformation. It's like a big Venn diagram. We do not want to become the arbiters of truth. We're calling this series Unchecked. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.